So good to see you this morning. We're in a series we're calling Love is a Verb. We're spending our winter talking about relationships, partly because it's Valentine's season, and I hope that's a positive one for you, but mostly because relationships are the most important thing we do. Are you out there? Is it true? Come on. Our vertical relationship with God is number one, and then our horizontal relationship with one another is number two. There's nothing more important than that. In fact, quite frankly, our horizontal relationships have to come number two, because if we don't get this one right, we never quite get these right. It's only in getting that one right that these begin to come together. And so what we're doing is we're just simply leaning into this idea of relationships God's way and trying to understand a little bit more clearly what it is that God says about that, uh, that issue. In fact, what I've come to understand is that relationships are at the heart of, of three very critical things in our lives. Let me just tell you what they are right quick. First of all, I found that relationships define our own sense of well-being in life. Is that true? I mean, the highest highs in your life were tied to relationships, Correct? The lowest lows in your life were tied to relationships. I mean, at the end of the day, relationships are the highs and the lows. In fact, the most severe punishment you can give a prisoner is solitary confinement because we all know that at the end of the day, we need each other. I've also found that relationships determine our success in life. The American Management Association says the most important skill that any employee can have is how to get along with others. Is that true? I've had a lot of employees over the years in different settings and different places, and I can tell you now that you can teach job skill, but if your employee can't get along with the other employees, morale and productivity are going down no matter how good they are at their job. True? It's true. But most important, our relationships ultimately develop our, our character. They develop our character. Here's what I know about relationships, and that is that, that, that a year from now, there are two things that are going to determine who you are what you allow your mind to dwell on, and who you relate to. It's true. In fact, the Bible says it very clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, bad company corrupts good character. Pastor Jim, paraphrase of that is you can't soar with the eagles and run with the turkeys at the same time. Right? Now, I don't know about you, when I think about that reality, when I think about the importance of relationships, and I think about the level of relational dysfunction that I see all around me, it scares the bejeebers out of me. I don't know about you guys. The good news is it doesn't have to be that way. The good news is that we have an owner's manual written by the inventor of relationships. His name is Jesus. And so we're investing some time this winter in understanding what the owner's manual actually says on this subject. For those of you that missed it, last week we talked about making love the central core value of our lives and why that's so important. We also came to the conclusion the reason it's so difficult is that we can be really confused about what love ultimately is. And so we kind of crafted a, a definition last week of what love is. We came to the conclusion that love is an action. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment to give people what they need, not what they deserve. Love is ultimately a verb. And then we wrapped up last week by promising that we would work our way through some of the key phrases in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. If you brought your Bible, you can turn there. In fact, one of the cool things that we're just getting started with these days is that we're looking at uh, the, the Version Bible app. I don't know if you guys do that one or not, but you can get it uh, pretty easily and pretty quickly. Uh, and uh, and the, the scriptures that we're going to be sharing today, the notes that we're going to be sharing today, the main points, as well as the uh, uh, place for you to take your own notes is right there in that Bible app. So let me encourage you to follow along, many of you. I have been saying, man, I'm taking a lot of notes. I'm really enjoying this. Well, here's a chance for you to do it electronically. Just go to the Uversion app, and if you don't have it, get it downloaded this week. 
and take advantage of that, okay? For those of you who want manuscripts, just go to info at bridgechurch.cc. Make sure you request the Goldsboro version because all of the campus pastors kind of preach their own version on these subject and mine's the best. I mean, what can I say? You can actually get all three if you request, okay? The goal of the series is just simply to help us to get more of our relationships, all kinds of relationships. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about friendship. We're talking about parent-child. We're talking about coworkers. Every relationship uh, that, that we have can be improved if we just lean into doing it God's way. So today, we're looking at the first building block. Here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Read it with me. It's on your screens. Love is patient. Isn't that a wonderful word? You know what the Greek word for the original manuscript for patient is? It's the word makrosumos, which means takes a long time to boil. That's pretty good, isn't it? You ever heard he's got a short fuse? God says love has a long fuse. In other words, put simply, it is loving to be patient. It is unloving to be impatient. Pretty simple, huh? When I'm patient with my kids and grandkids, I'm being loving. When I'm patient with Kim, I'm being loving. When, loving. when I'm patient with Pastor Gage, I'm being really loving. I mean, it's just, you know, when we're patient with people, we're being loving. And when we're impatient, we're being unloving. How, how do you suppose that God came to the conclusion that this one needed to be the first one on the list? Could it be because he's tried to relate to us? And maybe he knows that we need that. I don't know. Just saying. But there's no doubt that God wants us to be patient with one another. And so let me give you a couple of reasons why before we get into the how-tos. For those of you that don't know me yet, uh, you'll learn me pretty quickly that one of my pet peeves is for a preacher to tell me what I ought to be doing and then not tell me how to do it. Does that ever bother you? You ought to be a better father. Okay, great. How? You ought to be a better husband, better wife. Great. How? You ought to be more patient. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today. So we're going to lean into how-tos. We're going to try to get a handle on how we can do this better. But before we get into the how-tos, let me give you a couple of reasons why we ought to prioritize this. Number one, because everybody's different. Because everybody's different. Say it with me. Because everybody's different. Look at the person beside you and say, he's talking about us. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Anybody here in relationship with somebody who is wonderfully complex? How about just complex? I'm <laughs> Truth is, we all are. We are all wonderfully complex. In fact, not just wonderfully complex, but we are all unique. I mean, we have unique fingerprints and unique DNA and unique heart rates and unique retinal scans. We are, every one of us, absolutely unique. You've heard the expression, boy, when they made him, they threw the mold away. There's no mold. The Bible says that every one of us were handmade by God in our mother's womb with purpose, on purpose, and he gave us everything we need to fulfill that purpose. We are all originals. How many of you have kids? Are they all alike? Are they alike at all? Kim and I have three boys. I don't know how three young men can grow up in the same environment with the same parents and be exact opposites. Can you have three opposites? I don't know, but we do. We're all unique. In fact, that's why we offer the discovery class. Uh, it's coming up again in April. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to get a handle on who you are. We've come to understand that there are five facets to every one of us as we kind of look at who we are. There are natural abilities. Uh, we all have the ability to do certain things well, and, uh, and they just come naturally to us. How many agree with that statement? I see one hand. 
You know what you just demonstrated? See two hands. You, you, you know what you just demonstrated? You just demonstrated a whole bunch of natural abilities. You demonstrated the, the natural ability to, uh, to hear what I was saying, the ability to think about what I was saying, the ability to reason through whether you agree with me or not, and the reason to make a decision that it just ain't cool to raise your hand in church, so I'm not going to. <laughs> you see, all those, all those decisions that you made, say all of us have natural abilities. Then we have individual personality. We all have unique personalities. Some people are outgoing. Some people are introverted. Some people are detail-oriented. Some are big picture. Yeah, some are the life of the party. Some are, are rather be in the background organizing things. We all have different personalities, and we all have a mix of those kind of personalities. When, when uh, Bobby Ann or, or Pastor Gage says, greet one another, some of you can't wait to talk to 27 people, and some of you consider it introverts nightmare. You want to hide until that part of the service is over. It's just, it's uniqueness. We all have spiritual gifts. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we don't just get a heavenly father. We get a mix of gifts to help us accomplish everything he put us on this planet to do. And if the Bible says if your gift is teaching, then you ought to it's not a trick question. You ought to teach. If your gift is encouragement, you ought to encourage. If your gift is leadership, you ought to. So what are your gifts? I mean, you figure out what they are, then you begin to get an idea of what you ought to be doing in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? But then you have heart. We all have passions. We all have interests. And so let's say, for instance, that you've identified your natural abilities. You've decided that your personality type is a certain way. Your gifting is, let's say, teacher. You've got the gift of teaching. Well, who are you going to teach? You're going to teach children, you're going to teach adults, you're going to teach special needs. I mean, what are you going to teach? That has to do with your passions and your interests. And then finally, the fifth dynamic is just your experience, your life experiences, your spiritual maturity, your, your level of, of growth. I have the honor of, of teaching at Regent University School of Divinity, but I didn't start that when I first started in ministry. I'd been in ministry 30 years and got a doctorate before they invited me to come teach. You see, there, there's levels that you teach at based on your level of experience and training and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, all of those things put together, those five different things, I call it my niche profile, natural abilities, individual personality, charismatic gifts, heart, and experience. That niche profile defines who I am. And when you put all of those together, we are all different. I got one yes. We are all different. You guys got to know me now, but I've been here long enough that you ought to figure it out that if I don't get feedback, I figure you're not with me and I explain it some more. We're going to be here for a while, okay? So we're all different. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I knew you could do it. The fact is, there's, there's an infinite number of possibilities. There is no one on the planet just like you. So we're all wonderfully complex. Can I get an amen? Let me illustrate it this way. Think back to your school days, okay? Try. Some of you struggle a little bit, but you'll get there, okay? Let's say that you got a report card with, with four A's and one B. How are you feeling right now, okay? Uh, number one, if you would say, I, I'd feel real good about four A's and a B, and my parents would feel good about it too. Can I see your hands? I got a couple of those, okay? If you would say, my parents will want to know why I got a B. Yeah, I got several of those, okay? And number three, if you say, I'd expect a big reward from four A's and a B, I'm going to tell you what. Got to see a couple of those? All right. All right. How many of you would say, I'd feel sad about not getting straight A's? I got a few of those. All right. I'm guessing the rest of them you would call NBC News and have it put on TV. I mean, we're all different. And we have to be patient in relationships because nobody's just like me. Aren't you glad? 
The second reason we have to be patient is because those differences lead to misunderstandings. Those differences lead to misunderstandings. Try though we might, we cannot figure each out each other out sometimes. True? Kim and I, uh, this coming Wednesday, have been married for 41 years. Wow. Obviously, she was six when we got married, which makes me a pervert, but, I, you know. <laughs> but hear me. After 41, you're 42 years together now, 41 years in marital bliss. Okay, 35 in marital bliss and five or six we won't talk about. Uh, sometimes I'll be in the middle of explaining things to Kim, and I'm a teacher by gifting and by experience and by training, and, and people say I'm a pretty good communicator, and I'll be explaining something. I'll be waxing eloquent with her, and I look over, and I see her face, and she's got this, what planet are you from? Look on her face like, what on earth are you talking about, Jim? No matter how hard we try, no matter how long we're in relationship with people, differences lead to misunderstandings. Here's how Paul put it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, no one can really know what anyone else is thinking or what he's really like except that person himself, and I struggle with me sometimes, right? So let's do a little survey. Any of you, to get, get a relationship in mind. Any relationship, doesn't matter, just get a relationship in mind and raise your hand if you've used one of these expressions, let's say in the last 30 days. Don't throw any elbows, just raise your hand, okay? Here we go. I don't understand why he or she is acting that way. All right, got several of those, okay. Uh, he, she doesn't understand me. Okay, got a few of those. Um, we're just on a different wavelength. Okay, got a few of those. You guys aren't paying attention, are you? Just <laughs> hands over here, get nothing over here. How can you think that way? Okay, I got a couple over here. Uh, my parents are from another time zone. The twilight zone. Why do I have to tell you 48 times before you do it? And every parent in the room. <laughs> Why won't you talk to me? Got a few of those. Why do you have to get so emotional? One of those is for the gals and one's for the guys, but I won't say which is which. Truth is, we can all relate to every one of those things, which is why God said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, be patient with everybody. So if it's so important, so vital, why is it so hard to be patient? Why is it that we struggle? And I'm convinced it's because we've all inherited a one or more of four false assumptions that are taught all over the planet. I, I mean, I've picked up this in Asia. I've picked it up in Latin America. I've certainly picked it up in the States. There, I think there are, uh, there are four assumptions that we fall into when we're relating to people, and they're all lies intended to break down our relationships. Uh, let me just outline them, and you tell me uh, if, if you've fallen into it before. You don't have to respond. Just, just think about it, okay? Number one, words mean the same thing to different people. Is that true? It just, it just simply isn't true. I don't know if you know this or not, but the 500 most used words in the English language have a total of 14,000 definitions. Some words have as many as 100 definitions, depending on which context they're used in. Not to mention if you're from different parts of the country. 
Pastor Jenny Ross is our children's pastor. She grew up in Chicago, went to school in Boston. This is her first time of living in the South. It is not unusual in, in bridge staff meetings during the week when somebody will use some expression that we're all familiar with, and Pastor Farrell will say, would somebody translate that for Pastor Jenny, please? Because <laughs> we have our expressions, right? Like, bless his heart. Now, we know, bless his heart means, he's so stupid, but I love him. <laughs> right? We know that. We know this. But if you're not from here, you may not know what that means. And then, then you get to other languages. I've got a good friend from El Salvador who's, uh, who speaks fluent English. He's got a doctorate in, in leadership from Regent University. Uh, it's very good English. But uh, one time I was at one of the events. His daughter graduated from college, and they put on a to-do, buddy. I mean, they really dressed to the nines and brought in a caterer, and they did a really big deal to celebrate her graduating from college. And I said something to him about it. I said, Pastor Alejandro, this is just amazing. You've done a wonderful job here. He said, man, we threw the dog out the window on this one. Uh, does Peter know that you're throwing dogs out the window? Come on, man. What, what are you talking about? You know, and then I talk to other people who speak Spanish from other parts of Latin America. They have no clue what that means. But in El Salvador, apparently, that's an expression that they use. I, and even English from other parts of the world. We've got good friends. Uh, many of you know Kim and I spent nine years in the Philippines, and, and we've got good friends from there. One in particular grew up in Zimbabwe, Rhodesia, and speaks English, obviously, but British English. She called me one day when we were there, and she said, uh, Jim, do you know anything about geezers? Well, um, yeah, I've met your husband a few times. <laughs> I know a little bit about uh, your husband. She said, no, I mean geezers. Can you fix a geezer? And I said, I don't think I could fix him. What are you talking about? Well, I found out she was talking about her hot water heater. For them, geezer is like geyser, like hot water spewing. And so the hot water heater for them is geezers. And I'm going, how am I? I can't fix your husband. What do you know? I don't know anything about geezers at all. And then even if you speak the same language and you're from the same part of the country, um, wives speak in code. Come on. And if we figure out what the code is, guys, what do they do? They change the code. Like the time Kim asked me, is that your underwear in the middle of our bedroom floor? And I went, uh, I think what she means is, please don't put your dirty laundry in the floor. But what I'm thinking is, well, whose else would they be? <laughs> no wonder we misunderstand each other. We don't even know how to talk to each other. And you fall into the trap of believing that words mean the same thing to different people. You're going to misunderstand, and when you do, you're going to get impatient. Here's another false assumption. There's only one right way to see things. We learn about something. We get perspective on it. We think we have a full perspective. We never do. Ask five witnesses to a crime what happened. How many perspectives will you get? You'll get five or six or eight, right? And will they be telling the truth? Based on their understanding, they're looking at the same event from different angles and different perspectives, but there's just not one right way to see things. Don't confuse me with the facts. I've made up my mind, okay? The third false assumption is that my way is the only right way to see things. Now, I know none of you ever fall into that trap, but it's pretty common for us to start thinking and perhaps even saying, my side of the argument is clear, hers is confusing. My side is logical, his is irrational. 
my frustration is justified, theirs is unwarranted. My side makes sense. Her lights are on, but nobody's home. I mean, it's just kind of the stuff that we fall into. The fourth false assumption, of course, is I know why you do what you do. <laughs> I don't even know my own motives some of the times. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? If I don't know mine, I certainly don't know yours. To dwell above with those we love, oh, that will be a glory. To dwell below with those we know, now that's another story. <laughs> Hear me. God never tells us to do something without giving us both the how-to and providing us the grace to do it. And his command is what? Be patient with everyone. So let's shift gears. And let me just lay out for you four principles from the Scripture that will help you to become a more patient person. If you'll lean into these things, if you'll build these things into your vocabulary, into your way of thinking, into your way of relating, I promise you by the authority of God's Word, you will become a more patient person. Four biblical principles. Number one, remember how patient God has been with you. Remember how patient God has been with you. That's the starting point because you have never been nor will you ever be as patient with other people as God has already been with you. I've got two amens. Amen. Here's how the Apostle Paul described it to his spiritual son Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. He said, I was given mercy so that in me, the worst of all sinners, Christ Jesus could show that he has patience without limit. His patience with me made me an example. Paul's saying, before my name changed from Saul to Paul, I threw Christians into jail. I was complicit in the murder of Stephen. I, I was prideful of my citizenship. I, I was prideful about my education, my position in, in society. I am the chiefest of all sinners. And if God's been patient with me, then how much is he patient with you as well. God turned me around, Paul said, to show his unlimited patience. So I'll just say this quickly. The next time you're in relationship with somebody and you feel like saying to them, I wish you'd grow up, remember that God may well want to say that to you. The next time you say, hurry up, why is this taking so long? Remember that God may well want to say to you, I called you to this a year ago, two years ago. Why are you still saying no? Why is it taking so long to break out of your comfort zone and do what I called you to do? That was a word for somebody in this room. In Jesus' name. The first step to becoming a more patient person is you've got to remember how patient God has been with you and is being with you. The second step is you've got to learn by listening. You've got to learn by listening. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. Patient people have great understanding, but people with quick tempers show their foolishness. Pastor Jim paraphrased, the more understanding you have, the more patient you'll be. But if you're always flying off the handle and never listening, you won't understand. Therefore, you won't be patient, but you will eventually be alone. The bottom line is, there are no, lean into this, you've got to get this. The bottom line is, the bottom line is, did I say the bottom line? The bottom line is, there are no deep relationships without understanding. None. 
Understanding is the building block of relationships, and misunderstanding is the stumbling block of relationships. It all goes back to understanding, and not just for the sake of the people that are around you. We need understanding as much as the people that we're relating to do. Paul Turnier, who's a Christian psychologist, says it this way. He says it's our deepest need. He says, no one can fully develop in this world or find a full life without feeling understood by at least one other person. Is that true? You ever been in a situation where you're struggling with a decision, you don't know what to do, you're struggling with circumstances in life, and, and the thought goes through your mind, if I, could just, if I just had one person that I could sit down and talk to and I knew they would understand, I could figure this out. Anybody? But it's true. We need understanding, not just to give it away, but we need it. And it is in dialoguing with people who understand that we figure our own selves out. So when it comes to understanding others, if we learn by listening and develop understanding, then we'll understand that hurting people hurt people. And if this person's hurting me, then chances are they're hurting somewhere. It doesn't make it okay, but it'll help you to be more understanding in what they're doing and perhaps more patient with them while they're doing it because you understand better. When it comes to understanding myself, if, for instance, I'm angry all of the time, the better I understood, understand the source of that anger, why am I so angry? If I'm frustrated, it's probably because of what I call the uns. I'm probably feeling unsupported right now, or I'm feeling unappreciated right now, or I'm feeling uh, unprotected right now, or I'm feeling uncertain right now. One of those uns. Well, until you figure out what the source is, you're probably not going to deal with the anger. The better you understand yourself, the more understanding you'll be with yourself, the more patient you'll be with yourself on the journey, and ultimately, it's hard to give away what we don't have. Okay, I, I get it, I get it. Uh, uh, how do I get more understanding then? Well, I've already told you. By listening. By listening. Proverbs 18, 13 from the message said, answering before listening is both blank and blank. What do you suppose goes in those blanks? You, you want to guess? Answering before listening is both spiritual and smart. That's not it. Answering before listening is both clever and cute. No, that's not what it is. Let's see what it is. So put it up here. Let's see what it is. Answering before listening is both stupid and rude. It's true. Why is it? We all know it's rude, right? If somebody cuts in, we're trying to tell them something they cut in. We say, how rude, right? But you know why it's stupid? Because you'll never know what it is they're trying to tell you unless you shut up and listen. That's why I like the, the, the living Bible paraphrase of that same verse. What a shame, yes, how stupid to decide before knowing the facts. Here's a fun fact from nature that might help you a little bit. I learned this just recently. When a bullfrog opens his mouth to croak, two things happen. One set of muscles start vibrating that creates that croaking sound. And a, a whole different set of muscles starts vibrating at a different frequency, which closes his ear canals so that he cannot hear himself croak. So he's driving you crazy. He can't even hear it. Make sense? And the moral of the story is quite clear. 
Oh, the moral of the story is quite clear. Come on. Oh, the moral of the story. Oh, the moral of the story. Yes, the moral of the story is quite clear. It's really hard to listen with your mouth open. So how do you rate as a listener? Give yourself a, somewhere one to ten. Perhaps you, if you're brave, you'll ask somebody in your relationship with to rate you. But brace yourself for the answer. Now, keep in mind that, that when I say listening, I'm not just talking about words. How many figure out that communication is more than words? In fact, the people that study this stuff tell me that only 7% of communication is words. 43% is how you say those words. Tone of voice, volume, pitch. Does that make sense? If I say to you, I'm not angry. Am I angry? I would say the 43% of what I just did says I am, right? 7% says I'm not. But we know better. 50% is nonverbal. It's body language. It's facial expression. It's hand gestures. It's like the guy who decided to do an unscientific study one time as he was walking through the, the receiving line after a wedding. He just wanted to know if people actually listen when they have a hard time hearing the words in a loud kind of environment. And so everybody he saw in the receiving line, he said, the alligators are loose. The alligators are loose. And everybody just gave him a warm smile and said, thank you. <laughs> thank you. He got to one lady who said, oh, thank you. I made them myself. Can I tell you that's why I never, this is a little side note, won't charge you extra, don't put any extra in the offering for this one. Yeah, that's why I never send a text or an email that has any chance at all of having emotional reaction or response. Because words are only 7% of communication. I'll pick up the phone, I'll go see somebody before I, I do anything other than just facts. Text and emails are for facts. Facebook is for facts. It's not for emotional responses because it's always going to, boy, I touched a nerve on that one. It's always going to escalate when you do that. Is it true? Let me ask it this way. How many of you have ever been in a relationship with somebody trying to communicate with them and, and everything in you wanted to scream, please put your phone down while I'm talking to you? Yeah, because we know that eyes are just as important as ears when it comes to actually listening. And listening is essential to understanding, and understanding is essential to patience. If you want to be a more patient person, if you want to have deeper relationships, same thing. First, you've got to remember how patient God is being with you. Secondly, you've got to listen more than you talk. Number three, you've got to make allowances for each other. Even when you listen, even when you understand, even when you're really paying attention to try to figure out what's going on in the other person's life, the truth of the matter is everybody has a bad day every now and then. Is it true? Okay, maybe not an entire day, but we all have touchy times, right? Kim knows, after all these years of being together and in ministry together, she knows that I have two touchy times every week. Just every week, the two or three hours before the Thursday night service and the two or three hours before the Sunday morning service. She knows, just give Jim space because I'm focused. I'm looking at my notes. I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will be the teacher that shows up today. And I'm just absolutely focused. And if she wants to talk about the setting on the therm thermostat during a time like that, I'm probably not going to be as patient as I need to be because I'm really focused during that time. Okay, there's a third time, and that's every morning before I have my first cup of coffee, but we won't talk about that. 
that we all have those times when, when, we're, when, when we are introspective, we're turned inward. And, uh, and the truth of the matter is, all of us have those, those times. Somebody said most of us are temperamental, which is 10% uh, temper and 90% mental. I don't know if that's true. Of course, there was a lady that said, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? She said, no, no, I let him sleep. I, I'm not going to wake him up. That's why the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, always be humble, gentle, and patient, accepting each other in love, because we all blow it sometimes. Hello. We all blow it sometimes. Remember that God is patient with you. Listen. Cut each other some slack. And then number four, and we'll wrap this up. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, do to others what you want them to do to you. There's nothing new about that. That's the golden rule. Whether you've got a strong church background or not, no doubt you've heard that one before, but it's one of those things that's easy to remember and incredibly difficult to, to employ. Come on. But hear me, guys. That one verse could heal most damaged relationships on the planet. Easy to understand, difficult to practice. So how do we get there? Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Oh, come on, Jim, I'm not that selfish. I'm interested in the lives of people around me. Okay, then give me the top four or five interests of the people that you're in relationship with right now. What's most important to them right now? The truth is, it's incredibly difficult not to get self-absorbed and to think more about what's going on in our own lives. And so it, it, it has to be an intentional uh, occupation. In fact, the NIV of this verse says, look not only to the interest of others. That word look is the Greek word skopos. Anybody want to guess what English word we get from skopos? We get scope. We get telescope, periscope, microscope. And what does that mean? It means focused attention. It means zero in and block everything else out. If you really want to be patient with people, then you've got to be as interested in their lives as they are in yours. And ultimately, that's how we get there. In other words, if you care, you will be aware. How do we get there? Well, verse 4 says, let your attitude be that of Christ Jesus, Jesus, what a wonderful name, what a powerful name. That passage goes on to say that Jesus gave up his rightful place in heaven and all the glories of being equal with God. He took on the form of a man, not just the form of a man, but a servant, and not just a servant, but served all the way to death, and not just death, death by crucifixion, the worst possible death. Why? Because of Scopas, because he was more interested in you and me than he was in his own rights. How do you become a more patient person? Become like the most patient person. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Try as we might, Lord. This patient thing is tough. About the time we think we've got it right, something will push a button and we'll go off again. So we just confess that to you this morning and ask you to help us. 
I pray that you'd speak to every one of us in the way that only you can today. Help us, Lord Jesus, to take on your attitude. Oh, it'll help us if we remember how patient you've been with us, and it'll help us if we listen more. It'll help us if we build these principles into our lives. But at the end of the day, being a more patient person doesn't come naturally. It only comes supernaturally. So we're asking you to help us get there. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm not going to keep you, but I want to give you a chance to pray with me before we go. I won't ask you if you've been impatient. We all have. Come on. I'm just going to ask you, what do you want to do about it? Get someone in mind right now that you have caught yourself being impatient with. It won't be hard. Just get one person in mind. And then pray a simple prayer with me. Lord, will you help me to see that person the way you do? And be as patient with them as you're being? Lord, will you help me to listen not just to their words, but to their hearts. Lord, will you help me to begin to treat them the way you treat me? Would you empower our relationship to go to the next level of understanding? Would you give me the patience to get there? I'm not praying so much, Lord, for you to change them as I am praying that you change me.